Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. And you might be asking yourself as you're listening to this on your run or in the car or as you're making breakfast, whatever. Tof, Jeff, you're sounding a little different today. Weird. Very weird. And I have an answer for you. And that answer is for the first time ever in 160 episodes of this podcast, the talent Jeffrey Lavecchio and myself are sitting in the same room doing the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we are coming to you together from beautiful St. Louis, Missouri, Memorial Day, Scott family, Lavecchio family party that we haven't done all of us together in I don't know how many years uh, because some ding-dongs moved to New York and uh, it was tough to get out to St. Louis from there. But uh, we are so excited to do this. It'll be fun. In the flesh. Absolutely stoked. I love your flesh. Let's get after it. (laughs) All right. So our guest here today is one of our most popular guests that we've had. I believe this is the fourth time we have had him on here. It's the big cat himself, Adam Nicholas, who is a player development and hockey research consultant for the Clark Cup champion, Chicago Steel. Uh, He also works in player development with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he has a ton of players at the highest levels of hockey NHL all the way on down uh, that he works with Uh, just an unbelievably candid conversation as always about hockey player development. He talks about some of the things that they did with the steel that has allowed them to have so much success. Uh, But before we do get over to Adam, let's take it over to right next to me, the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lovechkio, Jehu. What's up today, dude? So much bro. Excited to be here right next to you. Kind of weird because usually when I say that, like I'm talking to you and I'm excited to see you, but I've been next to you all day and all day yesterday. But I'm still excited to be next to you, especially when you're rocking the GMBM gear. Gonna gonna be excited now that you're in the Midwest to do these a couple times a year in person podcasts, intros, get on some big guests in downtown Shy, maybe get on some NHL guys in St. Louis, and really excited to be doing this with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is gonna be a fun episode. Adam uh, was one of our first guests that really hit it out of the park for us. Um, you know, and he was extremely candid and everything that he says, um, has a lot of great opinions on things. And so, and, and it was great to get, I mean, the Chicago steel, for those that don't know in the USHL, um, they've had a ton of success. Uh, Ryan Hardy just won the general manager of the year for Chicago steel. They just won the Clark cup and I'm sure a lot more accolades will be coming. Uh, but it's really good to kind of dive deep into what they do and why they've been so successful. Owen power. Uh, he, probably will be the number one overall pick in the draft. He played at the steel a couple of years ago. He's at the university of Michigan right now. Matt Coronado is going to be possibly a top 10 pick this year in this year's NHL draft. Um, so just really, really cool stuff. Um, but before we do get over to Adam, we actually have a special guest coming on the podcast today because in college hockey, we just took a little bit of a hit uh, last week and it's never good to see programs, Uh, go under never good to see programs uh, that get cut because of whatever reason and so we're bringing on a Robert Morris University alum Tommy Brooks to talk about what happened and what we can do as a community in the hockey community to uh, to help that out so Jeff you want to give a little bit more background here 
Yeah, I, I'm super excited to get Tommy on. This is a guy who I grew up training with. He was in my training group along with like Sean Muncy, who we've had on the podcast, Travis Turnbull, we've had on the podcast, uh, two, of my for, uh, two of my pro clients, two of my best friends. Tommy was in that group, constantly training with us. He was a few years younger than us, but this guy like battled for everything he got. I remember helping him, you know, like going to junior tryouts and trying to get a scholarship and then going to Robert Morris and um, always was skating with him when he was younger, coming back and helping out those younger teams. And it's really cool to just see his progression, not only as a hockey player, um, all the way playing through division one, but also as a person, he's a, he's an unbelievable person. He comes from a great family. Um, just, just a guy who like would give you the shirt off his back. And, uh, you know, he messaged me and he said, Hey Vex, you know, I would love to come on and talk about what's going on with RMU right now. And I, without even blinking an eye, I was like, absolutely. I want you to have that opportunity. Hopefully we can help you and you can kind of tell the world, uh, the hockey world, what's going on with your story. So, Without further ado, as Toph usually says, here's our uh, special guest, Tommy Brooks. Hey, Tommy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. It's uh, uh, obviously a big hit for you guys as an alumni group. You put in all this time and effort uh, when you're there and you're donating money when you get out to help the program be the best that it can be. So give us a little bit of a background of kind of how you found out about it and uh, um, just kind of what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like most of us, right, who, you know, have teammates through juniors or college, right? We've all got our massive group texts that go off a hundred times a day. Some days you love them, some days you hate them. Uh, on Wednesday afternoon, you know, I was wrapping up some business meetings and I looked down on my phone. I think I had about 30 text messages and it was kind of one of those something's going on, right? So um, kind of read through the text. And the first thing I saw was that Robert Morris announced that they were cutting their men's and women's hockey program. I honestly thought it was a spoof or a joke and clicked into the article, right? Had a chance to read some of the details. And unfortunately it, it wasn't a joke. Um, so the story we've been able to get as alumni at this point is on the 26th, which was Wednesday, RMU president, Chris Howard, uh, and the athletic director, Chris King, um, with one hour's notice to student athletes on the men's and women's hockey team and coaching staffs set a zoom call with one hour's notice, it was a 10 minute call where on that call, they announced that they were immediately canceling both programs. Um, the kicker is they muted all participants. So nobody had a chance to ask a question of how this happened, why this happened. Um, no details. Nobody had a chance to answer anything. And the call was abruptly ended after 10 minutes based on the story that we're getting. Um, so, I mean, just imagine having your childhood dream of playing division one hockey get, or even your job or career, right. Get crushed on a zoom call where you don't even get a chance to, to answer a question. Unreal. Uh, no questions. Like, so the call just ended right after there wasn't like, how can we save this? It was just, we've decided, did they give a reason? Like, this is why we're doing it or. No, no reasons, no facts, no financial burdens, you know, nothing published by the university um, on why they canceled it. Since then, um, the president, uh, the athletic director have gone on radio silence. We've, as alumni, been hounding phones, calling, emailing, no responses. Um, I think they planned this strategically going into Memorial Day weekend, right, a long three, four day weekend, hoping that some of the uproar around this would die down and, and people wouldn't care. Um, after the holiday, but I think what we've seen in the last 24, 48 hours has been amazing. We had a hundred plus alumni jump on a call less than 36 hours ago, um, to get a hundred alumni from, you know, states across the U S all across Canada on one call to try and figure out what can we do as alumni is, has been amazing. I think the key thing is, you know, these two programs, while they're, you know, not the Michigans and Minnesotas and the BUs of the world, it's a, it's a damn successful program. We've got 
six regular season championships between both men's and women's program, four tournament appearances, um, actually three tournament appearances, 80 individuals sent to pro hockey across women's and men's ECHL, AHL, um, European. We've got two Olympic athletes that were, you know, that came from these two programs. Uh, and we're expecting at least maybe two more in the uh, NWHL draft in a couple of weeks. Um, Robert Morris just hosted the Frozen Four less than eight weeks ago. Um, the women's team just played in the women's uh, tournament in the quarterfinals less than eight weeks ago. So um, these programs have been growing. They, they've really been um, a huge inspiration to kids in Pittsburgh, all across Pennsylvania. So um, obviously very disappointing, but uh, we're not just going to sit back and feel sorry for ourselves. We've got a lot of good things going. Um, as of about five minutes ago, what I've heard is in the last 24 hours, uh, we've been able to raise over $200,000 across 750 donors, uh, a student athlete on the, one of the teams, uh, created a GoFundMe page. I think we're already up to about $20,000. Um, so we've got a little ways to go as an alumni group. We've set a really ambitious target of raising $10 million, um, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an eye raiser. Um, a lot of moolah. It's a lot of coin. It's a lot of coin, which is why we need, we need eyeballs. We need retweets. We need reposts. Right. But, um, I think the key thing is, you know, we've uh, gotten a little bit of an unofficial, if we can raise 10 million, it could cover operating costs and, and scholarship costs and keep the programs open for the next five years. Um, so that's a bit of a target we're going for. We'd like to get more, possibly try and get an endowment set up to where we don't ever have to raise money for it again. So, the good news is that there's hope. There's definitely not a guarantee, um, but we've got some things in the work and we're moving as quickly as we can. So Tommy, tell me, I mean, both of us played college hockey and, and we know how special that experience can be. Um, talk about just like what you're feeling right now as an alum, just like thinking about the fact that there might not be a program of the place where for four years you had best friends from and blood, sweat, and tears, some of the best moments of your life, some of the worst moments of your life and everything in between. Um, what's going through your head? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm in a glass case of emotion right now. I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have used that many times, but it, it's up and it's ups and downs. I think first we were crushed then we were mad. You know, it's like all the different stages of grief. And I think it, it kind of goes back and forth between pissed off and a little bit excited. We had, like I said, a hundred different alumni on a call. And just to see that was inspiring. We've got, you know, group texts that are going off every five minutes. You know, I've had frankly more dialogue with my college coach in the last 24 hours than maybe I did all through four years of being a, a pain in his ass. And I'm sure he'll listen to that and laugh. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of everything, right? But I think the key thing is we're not sitting back. We're not feeling sorry for ourselves. I think we've got an ambitious goal. Um, I think we've got a lot of bright minds to try and achieve that. But I think the key thing is we know the hockey world, right, is, is very small, but it's very supportive. Um, and I think it, in this you know, day and age between men and, uh, women's and men's hockey, it's growing, right? It's not shrinking. Um, you know, Robert Morris has done some really good things, and, and there's no reason why we can't find a way to keep these programs open. That's awesome, man. And you've seen what college hockey can do with some of these other programs that have been in trouble in just our recent past, whether it's University of Alaska, Anchorage, uh, whether it's Alabama, Huntsville, um, some of these smaller schools that need a little bit of help. Um, you know, the, just the awareness that's been raised and the, and the dollars that have been raised, it goes a long way. It goes a, a huge long way. So where can people go uh, to donate to this cause to help you guys keep your program alive? Yeah, great question. Um, so we've got a GoFundMe uh, set up. The, the link's a little uh, ugly to say at this point, so I'll kick that to you guys, but there's a GoFundMe link that everybody that can go to, hopefully they can find it. Just go um, to Google, guys. We'll get yeah, the link. Yeah, go to Google. Go to Google, your page. Robert yeah. Morris, GoFundMe, hockey. 
whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then offline, um, we've got a number of individuals that are helping to coordinate, you know, any corporate match programs that folks might have. I think we're a couple of days away from trying to get a, a 501 3C created, obviously trying to get that created on a Friday and Saturday of holiday weekends, a little difficult, but that's to come to make sure that um, there's a chance for tax benefits for, for major write-offs for folks and companies that are willing to do that. Um, and I'd say, you know, more, more than anything, we need the money, but at the same time, you know, we need the pressure, we need the PR, um, we need people to see this, we need people to be talking about this, the more people that see this, um, the more people that see the GoFundMe links, the more likely we are to get donations, right? It's, it's all a numbers and an eyeballs game. So um, for people that have been a part of a sport, whether it's, you know, hockey, men's or women's, whether it's any sport, um, you know, if you've been a, been a part of something bigger than yourself and, and know the opportunities that's, you know, provided you and how it's helped you in your life or your career, um, hopefully you, you have a sense of um, emotion and pride for the story and what we're trying to do. So um, anybody that can donate anything, whether it's five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand, um, it all adds up. So uh, anything that anybody can do is greatly appreciated. Yeah. Or retweet it or share it on your Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat. Sure. Share it. Uh, share it. The, the, the multiples of eyes that every share gets winds up being millions more eyes. Like, honestly, it's, it's especially, wild. especially if you go on Jeff Lavecchio's blue checkmark Instagram page, <laughs> but I know, man, Those I know. Get shared. Sure. Share it, man. I know the power of social media. And like, if you love hockey, you don't have to love Robert Morris. Like just share it. If you love hockey, because this is going to be less opportunities for so many men and women to play at the highest level of college hockey. Like we don't want to lose that. You know, we don't want to give up those dreams of the kids. And like you said, hockey and the reason we do this podcast and the reason that we love the game of hockey, we believe that it teaches so many positive uh, uh, values, uh, habits, details in your life that will serve you so well after hockey. So losing these programs, I mean, you, you know, slippery slope, you lose one, maybe you lose two, maybe now we're down five. That's like, what I'm worried about. Honestly, like with yep. Anchorage and you know, then Huntsville and now this, it's like, Oh, maybe it's easier for us to just drop our hockey programs right. for universities for cost reasons. Cause obviously we're still in a pandemic and people are cutting costs left and right. Like it's just the precedent that it's setting. It, you hope yeah. it's not a domino effect to some of these other places. So if we let's keep it alive, keep right? it alive. Let's share, yep. the, let's share the S out of this. Yeah, no, please do. And I think uh, the official hashtag we've got going is uh, save RMU hockey. So Vex Tof, I, I think I've been blowing you guys up over the last couple of days. That's not going to stop. And um, I think the administration uh, that made the decision and made this announcement was hoping going into a long Memorial Day weekend that they'd, there'd be a couple of days of uproar and things would quiet down. But I think as an alumni group, we're planning on doubling down on Monday and Tuesday and making sure that as people come off holidays and boozing at the pool like I know Vex is going to be doing later today and having fun and traveling that um, when people stop traveling and stop partying and, and taking time to celebrate the Memorial Day holiday, that this is going to be very, very loud. And, and we're certainly not planning on going away as an alumni group. Love Good. it. Good. Love Let's it, dig man. in, bro. Let's dig in. Let's have save RMU hockey. And uh, Tommy, thanks for coming on, man. Yep. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. All right, have a good bet. one, Tommy. See ya. Wow. That's powerful, man. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. We really don't want to lose more programs. We've, we've all got to stand up for, for, for them and for the next one. And, you know, like you said, it, there's so many hockey people in the world. If everyone gave $5, like it would be insane. You know, like that's the power of a GoFundMe. You don't have to, you don't have to donate a thousand. If everybody who was in hockey donated $5, they'd, they'd be close to their goal. You know, so I'm yeah. going to get on and donate after this. No <laughs> doubt about it. And if they turn into a 501c3, then I can donate from my company and 
donate quite a bit more too. So I will, uh, I will be looking out for that. And I hope people listening will, will be looking for that also. Yeah. I got a chance to actually go and do my team building with Robert Morris uh, a few years ago, uh, their head coach, Derek Schooley, who is a Western Michigan Bronco, I believe. He is a bucking Bronco. Um, yeah. The head coach there, he's been the head coach there forever. And so I got the chance to go in and kind of see firsthand what their culture is about and meet all their players and do a bunch of different team building exercises and, you know, when you get to know people on a different level like that, which is kind of what happens when I go around to these teams and do that, you can't help but feel even more for these kids because some of them are still there, you know, and, and they're great kids and they work their butts off and they care so much. Same with the coaching staff. And so I think a lot of times, especially right now, people can be relegated to numbers. And that's an unfortunate truth of the way that the world kind of works nowadays. So it's not just a program. It's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people from the men's and the women's side that are going to be affected by this and losing their jobs or losing their scholarships. Um, actually, I think they said they were going to honor the scholarships. I hope they would. I hope so. Um, but still crazy stuff to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look back and I think how hard it was for me to get to college hockey. Yeah. It was not easy. I battled. I didn't get my scholarship. I didn't get my scholarship offers that I was actually entertaining to go to these schools until <laughs> end of January, my third year in the USHL. Like I wasn't one of these, you know, now it, yeah, I wasn't one of these kids who had one going in. I didn't get it at my first year. Didn't get it my second year. Started to get it my third year. You know, like me too. I, yeah, like we grinded, man. We had to battle, and so like every school we lose it's going to be a bunch of players that are battling. Everyone's battling now because everyone's so good. Everyone's even tighter in, in um, comparison to their elite abilities than they were probably when we played because everyone didn't have a skill coach. Everyone didn't have a strength coach. Everyone didn't have a nutritionist and all these people helping them to be their best selves. So it's even harder to get to D1 today. So we can't lose these programs. So uh, thanks for letting us have my boy on and uh, we'll, we'll be sharing that. And hopefully you guys do too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hashtag save RMU hockey. Cool. Uh, okay. We'll send out the link to the GoFundMe page and everything like that. Um, but this podcast with Adam Nicholas, awesome. As always got into the real nitty gritty of a lot of hockey development stuff, which was great. And, and uh, if you're a ho- I don't want to say hockey nerd, but if you're a hockey nerd, you're going to absolutely love this or not even a hockey nerd, but if you're just interested in how to make people better around you, I think this is, uh, I mean, this is a really enlightening episode. If you listen to our episode with Daryl Belfry, uh, Adam and Daryl work hand in hand on a lot of different things. And, and this is their baby. This Chicago Steel team, a, a lot of it is their baby. And one of the cool things is Adam gives a lot of credit. He basically talked about each and every person within their organization on a name basis on, on why they've been so successful because it does, it takes a village and they have a fantastic hockey operations staff. They have a fantastic coaching staff. They have a fantastic hockey development staff um, and, and then staff um, and everything in between that does a lot of the work behind the scenes as well. So uh, just really, really powerful episode, really cool episode that I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from. Yeah. It was really cool to hear how a team and organization is doing a lot of things very differently than have been done before and how they've been uber stupid successful doing all these things. Um, it, it's so awesome to see and, and uh, very cool to hear, you know, how Ryan Hardy run things. I mean, he's, he's a great friend of the podcast, you know, I love pumping his tires. Uh, I, but honestly, I absolutely love Ryan Hardy. He's an absolute beauty. Great guy. Love the way his mind works. And the coolest thing that, that Adam said about him is such an inclusive person. 
and on teams, you know, we've all heard how sometimes, you know, there, there becomes like little subsectors of these guys hang out together. These coaches hang out together, you know, like it just seems like everything they do there is about inclusivity within their team. Um, everyone trying to push out from down to their Monday mini golf championships that they would have like genius we've talked about this so many times with culture and stuff the more teams hang out the more they're together the more they gel the more that that off ice gelling becomes on ice winning um it's unbelievable so just so many cool things that you're going to hear how they make their team a better team and it's pretty much a lot on an individual basis you make the individual better then that makes the line better and they work as a line together then that makes the offense better and the defense but then the team is better and then they win more like just a very very cool philosophy breaking it down and then building it back up progressions and regressions Toph loves when i use those you actually used progression before in this too in this one? Yeah, in, uh, in know, this intro already. Yeah, and I almost well, called you out on it, but well, now that you've called yourself out on it, I can call you out on let's it. Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> big Daddy working. Um, okay, so before we do get over to the big cat, Adam Nicholas, who I believe had 64 ounces of cold brew in him. He uh, sounded prior. like he had 158 <laughs> ounces of cold brew in him. I'm not going to lie. He was buzzing on this one. Yeah. Uh, before we do get over to him, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors first sponsor we will thank is our title sponsor gel sticks go to gelsticks.com g-e-l-s-t-x.com and you get this use the coupon code think tank one word to get a discount on your weighted training sticks vex you got train heroic i do but i want to take a real quick second to give john lounsbury a tire pump um what a great guy he's our contact at gel sticks um, you know, he's one of the bosses over there. I met him a couple years ago. Absolutely love him. He's been on the podcast, family man, um, another shirt off your back type guy, uh, doing tons of great work with some very high level people um, in the NHL skill sector. And, uh, you know, he knows what I what I do with Train Heroic. And he came to me and said, you know, my alma mater, University of Southern Maine, doesn't have a strength coach for the hockey team. Um, and I would love to get with the alumni, put something together, some funds together to have you train them all summer. So, I mean, just like unbelievable. I'm so glad he's using me. This was our first week, uh, training university of Southern Maine, uh, division three hockey team, all, all online. So that's been very, very cool. And I'm happy that I'm able to offer these players some real training, some real guidance. D division three hockey is no joke. Um, I know that these programs don't have a ton of money to spend, especially after the last year, same with junior hockey teams. I had another USHL team reach out to me the week before and a North American, uh, junior hockey league reach out to me that it looks like I'm going to be training all online next year. I just want all these kids to have quality training um, throughout the season and to be able to save these teams money. I know that they're hurting for budgets, especially over the last year. So very cool. If you're a junior team or, or a collegiate hockey team and you are looking for legitimate training for your hockey players throughout the season or the offseason, please find a way to message me. Uh, Instagram is probably the easiest way at Jeff Vecchio and I can try and help you guys out. Thank you. And even though he has a blue check mark, ladies and gentlemen, he still answers every single DM. It's, it's not easy. I won't, lie, I won't <laughs> lie to you. It does take a long time every day, but I do my best, man. Uh, I love it. Okay. And then uh, we want to thank icehockeysystems.com. They are the premier, I mean, 
they do everything on their site. They have everything from drill drawing software. They have a bunch of drills. They have culture stuff that we've created um, and everything and anything in between. And we made an uh, announcement last week on our podcast that we have actually joined forces, the hockey think tank with IceyHockeySystems.com to do an association platform where basically you can purchase this and will help everybody in your organization. It makes it so easy for all coaches to streamline all their practice plans um, there's, there's culture things that you can do. Um, there's drill drawing software. You can go in, you can draw all your drills. You can send it out to your team beforehand. It just makes it so easy to, to be a better coach and for your players to get better. And on top of that, Jeff and I are huge on not just player and coach development, but on parent development, parents is, <laughs> it's everything in, in youth hockey. And so we have given uh, icehockeysystems.com our, uh, parent survival guide. And so if you get this association platform, every single parent with your organization gets access to the Hockey Think Tank Survival Guide. And it just goes through so many different things that makes life so much easier and educates all the parents on hockey development, what the what the path looks like. And it's everything from the youngest of ages all the way up uh, to the pros. So um, the association platform, go to icehockeysystems.com. I would encourage anybody and everybody that's involved in, in a youth organization to get this because it can just make you so so much better and it can make if you're a hockey director or a coach it can make your life so so much easier so go to icehockeysystems.com for that and also thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of our hearts to all of our listeners of this podcast and we continue i mean we get so many messages we get so many notes on a weekly basis of how this podcast has positively affected the lives of of the people who are listening and that's everybody from professional players all the way to might hockey parents which is kind of cool like it's kind of cool and so we so appreciate all your feedback and your support uh if you can to help us out uh go and leave us a review or a rating on apple Podcasts or itunes or wherever you get your podcast today it helps legitimize the podcast so if everybody's looking for a hockey podcast and they see all these ratings and reviews they can be like oh this looks pretty legit got a ton of ratings and it's got a ton of reviews of people that liked it and if you have feedback for us that you think there are things that we can do better we want to hear that stuff as well i think we are very very close to five stars out of five i think we're 4.999 in terms of our our ratings for our podcast so those of you who didn't do five Tell us why. Tell us why. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, that, that kind of feedback, I mean, Jeff and I live off that. It's why we do the podcast. I mean, we've had so many people reach out because of something we said on the podcast and, Hey, can you just clarify this? Or, Hey, this is the situation I'm in. And you just talked about that. And you know, what can we do to help in this situation and things like that? So that's a huge reason why we still continue to do this 160 episodes in over two and a half years, we've been doing this. Um, so we just really appreciate it. We love the feedback. And uh, I think you guys are going to absolutely love this episode here with the big cat adam nicholas so without further ado here we go with adam nicholas hey guys before we do get over to adam we got a pretty cool initiative going on at the podcast company that we're under blue wire pods that if you want to start your own podcast or be a content creator this could be something that could be pretty cool for you so if you love listening to us here at the hockey think tank what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show there's no better place to host than blue wire hustle hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host your own podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. 
As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your own show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate that other hosting sites would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about hockey and hockey development, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. And to apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Now over to Adam Nicholas. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. I think this is a record number four here for the big cat, Adam Nicholas. Adam, how are you doing today, man? Good, guys. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate you bringing me on here to, to talk about some Chicago Steel and some Clark Cup success. There we go. There we go. Well, before we get into this, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of hockey talk and have a, a lot of questions for you on, on the steel and everything and, and how you guys have kind of made your framework and in, in how you've had so much success over this past little bit. But uh, before that, just like, how you feeling, man? You're coming straight off of Clark Cup, just getting back home from Fargo, North Dakota, winning it there. Uh, how's everything feeling right now? Well, it's, uh, we had a 10-hour bus ride back to Chicago, and I did a 16-hour bus ride back to Maine where I, where I live with my family, but, uh, it was phenomenal, man. The, the goosebumps and, and really trying to cap off this crazy year with a, with a championship was great. But, uh, you know, I, the most important piece for me was at the end of the day, was just the exit meetings and, and our, our ability to say goodbye to the players and, and the emotions that just, uh, floored, uh, uh, poured out, I should say, in terms of crying hugging and, and, and really just that to me was worth it all. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, impactful, I think, than putting a trophy over your head, but obviously held some of those emotions as well, right? So it's really a whirlwind and finally able to cap it off because Daryl Belfry and I started this three and a half years ago, and this was one of our goals. Um, and we also wanted to get first round picks, and we're going to have, uh, looks like we're going to finish here first overall, and then Matthew Coronado might be uh, drafted. So it's it's just unbelievable to reflect on and, and my goosebumps are still uh, intact in the back of my neck, down my arms. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. There's nothing That's from like your coffee though. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but yeah, but, but Vex today, today I got, uh, I have two thirty-two ounces in me right now. It's straight black though. I got to lose some pounds. So it's straight Dude, black. Oh, two, you have 64 ounces of Dunkin' Donuts coffee in you. What is wrong with you? You savage. <laughs> I told I, I told you, I, 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 uh, I have that stuff in IV or as soon as I wake up, I inject it into my bloodstream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. All right, man. Well, let's dive right into it here because, you know, I, I think we've gotten the chance to, to speak to some people on here. We've obviously had you on, we've had the GM Ryan Hardy on and, and you guys are doing something pretty cool in terms of the way that you view uh, hockey development in your platform and, and what you're doing with your players here and not just your players, but your entire staff as well. And so, you know, just to kind of start, like, how did this whole thing come about? Like what made you guys go all in on player development and, and try to do things and think about things maybe a little bit differently than the way that it's been done in the past. 
Well, it's, it started with, uh, you know, I was like uh, the middle of the year when I was working for UMass School, I got a call from Daryl Belfry, my good friend of mine and colleague, and he asked me if I would take part in this venture with him. And it was a no-brainer because I got to work with him finally. Um, and this was prior to working with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs with him. So he calls me and I said, yeah, I'm all in. Um, so when I first get there, I mean, we really didn't do much with, uh, with the coaching staff because they, they just uh, uh, let go of the previous the, the coaches in the middle of the year, hired, brought in another guy. And there wasn't a lot of like connectivity between the coaches and the development staff. So it was, very, it was a pretty good tension there just because guys are trying to, you know, create their identity and, and trying to, you know, create the development side. It just wasn't really flowing as well as we'd like it to flow. Um, but we had a mission, like it, it was style of play, player development and scouting and it all goes hand in hand. Um, and then we realized Daryl and I, after and, and Larry Robbins, um, the owner of the steel realized that, you know what, we need someone that can be there day to day and lead this team from a manager standpoint. And that's we go up to Ryan Hardy insert the hurricane and he was the game changer he, he was able to really bring in the right people the, the culture in, in a lot of times uh you know people people think like oh it's, they just got good players well i've seen a lot of coaches coach other uh, really good players and they're not successful um and so hardy knew that hardy knew that he had the ability to bring in the right right players but he also knew the right people there to build the culture uh, that he wanted and he, and he saw that it would be the most impactful his way. And then guys that can teach skill because he knows he's going to bring in skill. So he had to be able to teach it. Um, and so that's what he did. He brought in Greg Moore, Brock Sheehan, uh, this kid, Bobby Lucas, uh, in a workout role, uh, slash sports science. This kid's unbelievable. He's this, what this kid can do in an Excel spreadsheet and how he can create data points and, and tracking points to understand what players are doing from day to day is just absolutely electric. I yeah, mean, Bobby's it's, it's awesome. phenomenal what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Just from that regard, man, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and his ability to make sense of it all to help our coaches understand and make decisions with it. That's next level. Like I, I say this all the time, you can have all the information and know every single thing that you know, but if you can't act upon it and you can't teach it to somebody else, then that information really is no good to you. Can we talk and, about, and that's what, can we talk about like what he's breaking down? Like it doesn't need to be specific where you're giving out steel details, but what kinds of things are you guys looking at? And then you're acting, acting upon. I mean, it's, it's stuff that you like you've tracked before Bex, in terms of heart rate workload. Um, you know, he, he puts it all into a, into a graph and he, and he really can, can, break it down. So the staff knows like what guys need rest, what guys need to be pushed and et cetera. Like, and he's very good at that. And then he, then he designs off of all that stuff, individual workout plans for each, each guy. And he, and he has, you know, cause as you know, uh, genetics are in DNA are a funny thing and, and every player is built differently. So he doesn't just throw an umbrella over top of every guy. They have certain trigger points in a workout that they do based off of workload genetics and, and so forth. So he's, this guy grinds, man. He's in there every day at five in the five in the morning. Doesn't leave until five at night, and he's just grinding all day. He's over over. Uh, he uh, overviews the workouts, or or you know looks uh, looks over the guys as they're working out, and he's just really exceptional in that regard. Uh, to be able to have what we have there from his standpoint is just special. No other team has. Yeah. Bobby's a man. Uh, I've had the chance to talk to him on a couple different occasions and, and he does such a good job. And I, I think that's one thing that's really cool about what you guys are doing. And I, again, I want to dive back into the development and, and your guys' plan and how this came about, but like you guys really, it's a team effort in 
the coach's room and the like the general manager's room and everything is very streamlined and you guys all work together i think that's one of the things that all programs should aspire to do is to not only be united with your players but you be united as a staff as well and so how did how did that come about and how has that helped you guys to you know to really kind of lead the way in this development model that you guys are doing well it, it just goes back to the man himself the hurricane right and, and, and ryan hardy he just <laughs> he his ability to find the right people and that's what he did and i'll give you a prime example here so Matt Deschamps, who I think of the world of, and, and he's really grown as, as a coach in my eyes. And I, I think he's absolutely exceptional now. And, and what I think is exceptional about him is he knows the best way to teach. And what I mean by that is we, we have our eight, our, our 10 D. And so he wanted to be the most impactful he could be with a group. So let's give an example. If Matt Deschamps was talking about the D on everything, defensive defensive tactics offensive tactics and then the skills that go within all that players are, are going to forget stuff because it's one voice you're only going to remember certain things that you really want to remember and the other stuff it's all going to be just white noise and so that's what he was able to do is he's like hey adam i gotta bring you into the foxhole you're going to teach all the offense i'm going to teach all the defense and i said that's brilliant and that's the type of people we have on our staff it's not many coaches would do that to be the most impactful for the players and matt deshaun did and he put his own ego aside, his own, his own voice aside. He said, I need you in the foxhole with us so that we can really dial in the defensive uh, core here so we can be the most impactful going to the playoffs. That's the type of uh, environment we have. And, and Brock Sheehan's the same way. He's, he'll say, hey, listen, you got to work with these three players. I need you to do video with them. And I, I need you to take it to the next level with these guys. And here you go. And, and that's, that's how we do it. And, and I'm able to assist them. And, and they ask me to do things, I can hit out of the park because I have a lot of range. I, I've been doing this for a long time, so they trust my ability to have a lot of impact. I have a lot of impact uh, on the players. So that's, that's really the culture, man. That's, and I, I deal with Bobby on a day-to-day -day basis uh, when it comes to, he's like, hey, listen, overload here. And I'm like, all right, so I got to change my on-ice program for this guy because of this and, and, and whatever he says, uh, you know, I need to, be, need to adjust. So I think that's great. And, and how have you guys worked it out? Because I, you know, I feel like just in talking to a lot of people at, at that level and in, in college and in, and in pro, there's a lot of times there's a lot of friction <laughs> between the development yep. staff and the coaches, you know, the development staff are looking at the game in, in a certain way and the coaches look at the game in, in a very different way. And so how, like, how do those conversations go? Cause that coaching staff is awesome. You know, between, uh, Brock and, and, and Matt and, and Mike Garman, um, and all the other staff that you guys have, like, how, how does it go when you have some differences and, and tell me about like how you guys go about getting on the same page? Because like, I've always told people that want to get into coaching, like, it's great to disagree inside the coach's room, but then you got to be united going outside of it. So challenge each other and all that kind of stuff in private. And then in public, you got to be together. So like, how, how do you guys go about you know, finding that marriage between the development staff that looks more um, at the development side of it. And then the coaching side that may have a different side of it. Well, this is what happens in my opinion. We don't view development separate from coaching. We view it as an entire unison and, and unity of, of, of togetherness. And, and I'm not in my own office looking at just skating, looking at stick handling. I'm in his meetings. I'm listening to the tactics and the style of play to which he wants to play. And then I'm able then to 
work with the players from the the, tac- the the technical side, the tactical side, because I know exactly what he's doing. It, it's a mirror. We're all in this together. And yes, I am development guy and I got to work on uh, technical skills like skating and stick handling, which I do and put together for players. But I'm teaching that within his, his system, within his style of play. And, and we do believe our style of play is above. Like that's the way we really want to play. We think our style of play is the way hockey should be played all day long, every day. So that's where, why we feel teaching skill within that we're going to see massive transfer to the next level. And we feel like we're really setting the kids up when they leave our program, that they're going to be prepared technically and tactically. And, and that's where, yeah, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. We don't really disagree much to be honest with you. I, I mean, and yeah, we're going to have different some opinions, but at the end of the day, like, it's not like we're going to be arguing at each other because we view it all as togetherness and, and we view it as one. We don't view it as separate entities at all because Brock Sheehan can teach skating and he will teach skating in certain drills, uh, in certain drills. And he'll add it. He'll add it. He'll add it into a, a drill and be able to teach it. So it's not like he can't teach it either or he, or he just wants me to teach it. We all are doing it together at the same time. So that's why we don't believe it's separate. And, and that's why we don't have a lot of friction where a lot of staffs, they view it as two different things uh, because they view development as all. They don't know hockey. They just know how to, help a player shoot better. But if you actually get down to the gritty, what is actually a good shooter? Right? What, what is a good shooter? <laughs> yeah, I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking. I'm, pa- I'm pausing there for a second to let people really think when they're listening to this, what, what actually defines someone as a good shooter? So like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Austin Matthews, really technically elite as a shooter. And he also puts the puck in the back of the net. But he shoots the puck very, very different than a Patrice Bergeron. But Bergeron's still scoring 30-plus goals a year. But they don't have the same shot. You look at Ryan O'Reilly, guy scores goals. He, he doesn't have the same technical elements that Matthews does. Now, Matthews more efficient? Yeah, of course. But if you really look down it and, and see what the true meaning of a great shooter is, it's more about timing, spacing, pattering, and routes and how you get into spots before you get pucks so that when you get pucks, you're able to put them in the back of the net. And, and that's really what player development is and should be once you get to a certain level, because here, here's the reality. I, I said this before, and, and I'll, I'll say it again to many people. I had a chance to watch a Steph Curry uh, YouTube interview and Steph Curry was talking about from his freshman year to his sophomore year in high school, his dad goes up to him and he says, Hey, we have to revamp your tactical elements in your three-point shooting. So they literally spent an entire summer working on the technical components so that he could be successful with the heavy contention and pressure prior to getting the ball so he could shoot it in at the varsity level. Well, there's a reason he actually needed to do that. Well, because a three-point shot gives you one extra point rather than a two-point shot. So the, 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 the efficiency uh, level of shooting and the outcome of, of getting an extra point, it makes it all worth it. The, the dividends are going to be there from that work. But if you go and you just work on shooting technique in hockey and the player doesn't know how to move and relocate and get in the spots to actually use it, what is good as the technical elements then? They're no good. I don't care how technically sound you are. It does not matter unless you're in spots to use that tool and that and that asset, and and that's how we view it. That's how everybody in our staff views player development and technical development. It's all done together, so that then we can maximize our our work. 
I like that. And I like, so I feel like maybe a good distinction would be, and I'm not trying to throw other, you know, development coaches under the bus, but it sounds like maybe there's like what a lot of people do is, or, or have as a skills coach. And you guys look at it as a development coach. Cause like you said, like you can break down skills into a skill themselves, but that doesn't really translate to actually playing the game. That translates to a shooting drill, but a shooting drill is not the game of hockey. Like I played with guys, I played with this one guy in the American league who had the hardest snapshot I've ever seen. I put him up against the best NHL snapshot of all time. As far as like, like how it looked when he'd shoot and how hard it was, how quick he got it off. Like, but it was only in certain situations. If he didn't have like the perfect amount of space and like the perfect pass, he wasn't getting. And I don't think the guy scored over 10 goals in the American league and he never played in the NHL. So like, he had a great shot and that that's a skill, but it, it wasn't like developing his overall game. He didn't wind up being able to use that skill. So like how, how can staffs, coaches, skills, coaches think more in terms of, I want to work with developing these skills so that they're going to work in a game, not just be great at a toe drag around a cone or not just have a great shot when no one's on. Them. How do you kind of, blend it from skill to like developing into like game like stuff. Well, that, that goes, that now brings in our, our goalie coach, Mike Garma, who is elite. Like, this is, this, again, this is the culture, man, that we have here. And so Mike Garman, he studies goaltenders. Yes. To study, you know, what actually, uh, you know, goalies are using for technical elements, but he's also studying like, well, how do they let so many goals in? And so he, he did this entire, this entire research and he showed it to us. And then we ended up developing this type of uh, patterns and routes that we thought were more favorable for a shooter. Um, and he, he put that all together for us and we added it to every drill. And now we know what patterns and routes to put our players on to give them the most success to put their, their shots into the net. We give them cues, we give them patterns, and we build it. Uh, into every single drill. Like they're, they, players know exactly what we want from them when they're shooting on the goalies. Now, that, now on the flip side of that, he also does it so that the goalies get more comfortable in those spots so that then they now know how to make those saves in those tough environments. So that's really where, uh, this is where our entire staff works together for the greater good of the player. And, and, and this is why we have found to be very successful the last three years. Great to have the shout out for Garms. Garms, good Cornell man, oh. and uh, also does some hockey. Oh yeah. Stuff. So, just uh, yeah, that 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 stuff and that research that he was doing. I know he's doing that uh, with you guys. Is is I mean, it's it's funny. Like scorers should talk to goalies more. <laughs> People who want to score should talk to goalies a lot more, and goalie coaches a lot more. Do you agree? Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree. But yeah, no, they absolutely should. But here's the problem, man. Is this is where. Again, it goes back to my information. Like, goalies know what's tough. Like, I'll give you a prime example. All right, making a pass from one dot to the next is is really hard on the goalie. Great, but why is it hard on the goalie? Because there are times where goalies make those saves, and Garms is able to articulate exactly why it's tough and how to make it tougher. And, and he tells us our, our players that, and then I'm able to use that information, and then I drop in the tactical elements from a skill side which then now we're basically creating 50, uh, 47 gold players 
And that's what we're able to do. And, and that's why our, our ability to, to score on the power play, our power plays high, our, our, our top end guys put a lot of points on the board. And, and it's because of that type of information and technical uh, uh, elements that go along with that, that really pay off for for the players and ourselves. That's no awesome. That's awesome. So, so let me ask you this, because you had a guy in your team this year in Matt Coronado that scored 48 goals in 51 games. Um, how, how do you like, how does he do it? I shouldn't say, how does he do it? But like, how do you use the information that Garms gives and then, you know, work on the skills and the tactics on your end that, and use the talent and the skill that, that Matt has to accomplish such an amazing feat, like scoring 48 goals in 51 games. And I would imagine some of it has to do with uh, his line mates. Obviously Sean Farrell had over a hundred points in the league this year too. But like, if you could provide an example for us on how Matt Coronado uses all of the development tactics that you guys use um, for our listeners here. I, yeah, I mean, we, we also watch, we integrate his shots too in there. Right. And, and after every weekend, Garms goes through it with him. I go through it with him, And, and we're talking about, you know, Hey, can you, can you, do this a little better. Can you do that a little better? And then we go out during the week and he's got hyper-focused key, uh, key points uh, to work on to then make those adjustments. And then he cashes in on the weekend. And, and that's really, you know, like, again, the kid had natural ability. Let's put it this way. Like he can, he, like I didn't teach him how to take a one-timer. I made adjustments inside the one-timer, but it wasn't like I taught him how to do it, if that makes sense. And so really where, where the real secret sauce comes is we also, we talk about how to relocate and move correctly to then put himself in the most uh, advantageous spot to be able to cash in and, and to use that asset to the highest level. And, and that's really what it is. And people want to act as if like, you know, I reinvented his one timer. I didn't reinvent his one timer. Matt didn't want to reinvent his one timer. It's just making subtle adjustments that then are going to pay massive dividends for him. And that, and that's really the, the, the skinny of it. I, I can't, you know, fabricate or, or go into long detail about something that just definitely didn't happen. It's, it's just, those little cues and knowing how to make subtle adjustments. That's the difference. That's the level of player development that I think so many people struggle with is, is knowing how to make subtle adjustments that will then pay off big time for you. Uh, and, and that's what happened with, with Coronado. And he's also a, a guy that works extremely hard off the puck. Like he is, a, that's why he got the nickname, the bison. And, and he just works hard all over the ice, which obviously creates time and space and, and ability for him to use that uh, asset of his. So that's really the, the nitty gritty. It's a lot of mental models through video and it's subtle adjustments here and there. Like it might be like, Hey, where are you, where are you aiming to put this puck? Um, and I'll give you an example on one, one situation. He was missing the left a lot uh, early on, um, on, on his one timer. And we told him to go to the, you get to start aiming to the right side of the net so that when he misses the puck's going to go in and that little adjustment paid off for him. And he wasn't trying to put, uh, you know, the puck in a little tiny diameter of space. He was just trying to hit the net uh, to the right side. And every time he tried to hit the net right side of the net hard, he'd bury it to the left side to be a goal. So those little cues and, and, and mental elements really pay, diff- uh, you know, a difference for those type of players. That's awesome, man. And so how do you guys go about teaching those kinds of stuff in terms of your methods of teaching? Not even necessarily like the things that you talk about from a hockey standpoint, but you know, we had Daryl obviously on here uh, a couple podcast episodes ago. It was actually the most down the wo- downloaded one that we've done. 
And a lot of what we talked about is that co-teaching and having the ability to teach. And I know that's something that you, you know, hold very, very near and dear to you as well. So in your method and in your process of making these kids better and in your process of development, how has that co-teaching led you to be able to make these kids better? And what do you do with these kids um, when you're trying to find out about them? And what kind of questions are you asking and getting the information so you know what to do to make them better? Well, the, the, the number one thing is you got to ask questions, man. You got to ask the players what they are thinking in situations. You've got to really get down to how they are processing the game. And, and like, again, when, when a player that scores a lot of goals starts missing the net, right? What's naturally going to happen. They're going to get frustrated when they get frustrated. They're going to start creating mental bottlenecks. And what I mean by that is they're going to start getting more tense because they want to bury the next one, bury the next one. And they start getting more tense through that, through those reps. Um, and so you have to ask the player, like, like what, why, what's going on? Like, what are you, what's running through your head mentally first? How are you thinking the game right now? And once you can get down to that, then you're going to be able to make inroads. And this goes back to, to, to anything like you want to get, make a player a better skater or you want a player to cross over hard to the middle to then create space to the outside on a, on a, on a rush attempt on a zone entry. Well, if they're not thinking attack and they're thinking, holy crap, get the red line and dump it in, you're going to have a hard time teaching them those type of skills and those reads. It's just not going to happen. You need to free the player mentally. And, and in order to do that, you've got to ask the player questions all the time and you got to let the player self-discover too. So when you're doing a drill or you're doing a constraint learning approach style game, you need to be able to ask the player, hey, what'd you think there? All right, what'd you see? Okay, what can you do differently? How can you make that better? Okay, let's go back out there and do it. And a lot of times, they're going to be able to self-correct. And that's really where it comes down to the ability to ask the right questions. That, that, that's one of the things that I, I think a lot of people, are, are again, are not very good at is asking questions and, and knowing the right questions to ask to get the right answers and get the player engaged. And, and I used to do this like years ago, I used to be, you know, I didn't ask any questions. I just went out and ran drills and it's it, it, the players don't like that. They, 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 some might like it, but some really don't like it because like, well, how's this transfer to my game and how's this? And, and they start getting very, very nasty with their, with their, uh, their coach and, and player relationship. They start getting very frustrated. Um, and so to us, it's, it's very important when we sit and watch video, we ask players, all the time, what they see, what do you think? And then we might sprinkle on a little bit of, of our, uh, our thoughts and, and ideas. And, and it's so different when we go to the ice. I have drills I run, but then if a player is not successful, Hey, why are you not successful there? Oh, um, uh, I did. I, I wanted to do this. I didn't do this. I saw this. And then like, okay, next time add this in there. Right. And so I'll give you another example on that as well. So we were really big on opposite weight shift and body through hands on drives. And sometimes players won't do that because they're processing on where they're going to move the puck to, and they're not processing drive space. So then we inherently think, or, or most people would inherently think like, Oh, we got to work on opposite weight shift with this kid. No, you have to work on his ability to process well inside that and drive space and, and multitask from a mental component. And then the, the skill will naturally show up because like, I believe at this level, all these players have a pr like pretty good, level of understanding of how to, their body works to create advantages. They just then, when they get stuck in processing modes, they freeze up and their body locks up. And then we misdiagnose like, oh, this player's going to work on his skating. He's going to work on his shot mechanics. No, he's going to work on his reads. Then that will hopefully relax the body, 
to execute technically. Interesting. And and one thing that you brought up earlier that I, I want to dive into a little bit more because we talked about it the other day and, and I think not enough people know about this way of, of teaching and that's the CLA constraint led constraint led approach um, to development and, and, you know, um, setting up games and setting up drills and things like that in practice. Um, could you touch on that a little bit more? Because I think that's something that needs to be a lot more mainstream than, than it is right now. And, uh, I think it would be able to help a lot of coaches that are listening to this right now. Yeah. Well, what happens is, um, the constraint led approach has been done for years. Like it's, it's been studied for years and we actually use in hockey. Uh, it, it's done in a small area of games. That's what, that's what really USA hockey calls it and, and college hockey coaches call it. Um, and, and it's to me, if you really start diving into CLA approaches, what CLA actually is, is designed to do is desi- it's for self-discovery from a skill and technical element and a tactical element of the player. But it's also, you have to have master coaches around to be able to teach inside it. Um, and the next component is, is you're trying to create mental models and, and pattern recognition um, and, and what I've, I've, I've got a very basic understanding of neuroplasticity, but you want to build your neuroplasticity in a more favorable environment. So constraint led approaches, you don't move like for me, you don't move the net, uh, from the mornings and you design, uh, the spacing. And what I've been using is, is uh, spray paint. You design the spacing and you create, like, I'll give you an example. I, I put a dotted line across the top of the circles. Um, and I put. I have two, I have a red and a white. It's got to stay above the dotted line, but they can interchange with their players below the line. And in order to score, you've got to make a pass uh, to the guy that activates uh, coming over the dotted line, but someone has to replace them. So it's really a two on two down low with interchangement from F3. Uh, and that's natural offensive zone tactics, but I put it in a constraint, let a let approach style game. Um, and so that's really what it is. And then inside that you got to be able to teach body through hands, cutbacks, uh, how to relocate to get into space on and off the stick catches and, and, and shots. Those are type of skills that you have to see in real time to be able to educate and, and, and further the player's ability to understand recall and skill application inside that pattern recall. And, and that's what it is. Um, do we start with a CLA approach? No, that's more along the lines of, of a, of a pop quiz prior to the test, which is the game. Um, but really you want to be able to put them in those environments to hopefully they can recall patterns and, and, uh, and skill acquisition all inside one type of environment, which is the constraints led approach. Love that. Love that. And do you think that that constraint led approach in, in development can really help in that transfer to game? Cause I know that's something yeah, that I, I think that about all the time. And, and if you can just kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. That that's the missing link. Like it's not just doing a small game. You need to set up the constraint led approach so that then it's going to force players to recall skill at a at a game pace. Right. And and when you isolate something, let, let, let's talk about this. This is a big thing for me, is most players can execute movement at half speed to a low low end speed. When the player really struggles is when they have to have timing and pace behind it. That's the real, that's the real struggle. Then you add reads, teammates, defensive coverages, different styles of, of defense. That's then another element that you have to be able to create before the game. And, and that's how you're going to get transferred. That to me is part of all. When you get transfer, that's part of all. Right. And so that's again, another missing link where a skills coach goes out, 
They have them just work on shooting. The skilled coach leaves, and now practice happens. The player now does not hold himself or hold themselves accountable to be able to hold that technique through practice. That's another link between myself and the, and the coaching staff is I know what drills are doing. I know what skills I can talk to the players about dropping in on, the, on those drills. And inside it, now we're building technical and tactical elements to use the proper tool for that situation. Um, and so that's, again, another massive link that I, I think is, is, a, is a major contributor to our ability to develop high-end players. And, and how do you think that this approach that you guys take, uh, and we talked about it the other day, like I, I feel like kids do really well in learning when they can see it. And so how much video do you guys do? And, and it's almost like hearing you talk, it's like they got to see it, then they got to feel it. And then they, then they got to do it in, in terms of being able to do it at a game like pace and, and doing it in game situations and stuff. How do you use the video and then break it down into the technical tactical and then have them do it at game right paces? Are all three of those equally as important to you guys? And do you work on all three of those all the time with your players? No, absolutely. And, and this is something that I, I've got to experience with. And I, I know I see a lot of people now bringing iPads on the ice and practice and using them. I love it. But I think now it's become almost like an apparatus. People are using it too much. And, and the reason I say that, and it's a real thing. You have to know when to use it, when not to use it, and force the player to feel through it. And Tiger Woods talks about this. Feeling uh, what you feel might not always be real. And that's absolutely true. And so what he says is he's like, listen, I need to be able to feel it and make it true. So I, I, I can't just always rely on the camera to let me know what I need to feel like. I also need to know what it feels like to make it true uh, without any type of video feedback. And so to me, that made so much sense. And I'm like, all right, yes, you want to film everything, but you can't show the player every single thing. They got to be able to recall that at a high rate in the game as well uh, and, and make those self discovery and changes. So, so the, the video component, we use a lot to show them why we're going to work on certain things. Then we go into, into practice and, and yeah, I'll take some clips to, to get them feeling the right things at first. And then the camera goes away. Uh, and if they literally got to remind themselves and try to feel through it. And then, yes, I'll, I'll give them, you know, the thumbs up if it looks good in my, from my point of view. And then they're like, yeah, it felt good too. And I'm like, perfect. So now we connected that, those two bridges. And then now we go into the CLA approach which now is going to test them under, under a game environment where they're not necessarily thinking about the skill anymore. We disconnected the, the, the thought process of skill and made it more of a, of a habit base where when they get into that environment, they're going to be able to throw and toss that skill in without even having to process um, and, and think about trying to use it, right? And so that's what we're trying to create in that CLA approach is that recall. So then when Friday, Saturday night come, they're dropping in. And I'll give you a prime example on one player, Matthew Samuskevich, who's absolutely exceptional at this game of hockey. And, and he has an exceptional player, name too. What a name. He, he does. He does. <laughs> his, his shot release, his shot release is ridiculous too. This kid can fire a puck so well. It's unbelievable. And, and what happens is he's really fast and he's great on his edges. But for whatever reason, in one weekend, he found himself going linear a lot on his line rush, being straight, not challenging the middle, which led to the D being able to really establish angles and gaps on him. And he, even though he's fast and he's fast and he's crafty, the problem that a lot of people don't understand is once you get to a certain level, you can't beat geometry. Geometry is geometry, right? And what I mean by that is if you're going to stay in one line, angles and, and pressures are going to come at a constant rate. You're not going to be able to problem solve. 
So you have to use geometry against the deep. So you got to take angles against them like they would on you. So what we have are, are what we had them do is now we're like, listen, you got to challenge the middle. You got to force them to the middle more so that then you can then go point A, B to C, right? We, first we got to go to A, then we got to go to B, then we get to C. We're, we're not trying to get to, to where you want to go to in a straight line of hockey. It doesn't work that way because we're playing a box. Um, so you have to learn to create space. And so we, we taught them that and, and we taught them how to slow down and then change speeds and change conditions. And, and that's, that really set him up and, and he was able to drop that in the next weekend and he was able to create high end scoring chances and, and he ended up scoring uh, based off of those, those mental models and, and cues and, and refabricating the situation in practice to set him up to succeed next weekend. That's awesome, man. And, and how do you go about like, so you take a guy like Mackie Samuskevich and how do you go about like figuring out that problem, then getting him in there and helping him to fix it? Like, what does that process look like? Cause I think that's something that would be awesome for, for all coaches. Like I think about even going back to, you know, when I was coaching in college, like that sometimes gets missed. Again, coaches are so much looking at the macro, right? And, and a lot of times we forget about coaching the micro. So like, how do you go about your process of finding that stuff out about Mackie, grabbing them, teaching them, and then him making those changes? Well, you first have to know what the player's asset base is to be able to make a, a suggestions and, and be able to point them in the right direction. Right. So that's number one. I don't, I don't think a lot of people study players assets that need to be able to, to how to take those assets and build on top of them through reads and, and environments. The, the second component is, is you got to go through more than one line rush. I, I put them all together and watch them. And I found a repeatable pattern that he needed to be able to be more impactful uh, and what he wasn't doing versus what he should be doing. And that's where the players start to be like, wow, this guy knows my line rush. I'm going to trust them. And this is what we're going to do now. We're going to work on it. And then bang, he, you've got buy-in from the player. And, and then, then I put all my energy and effort into that player and they, they feel my energy. They feel my, my love for them and trust in them uh, to be able to execute it. And, and those, all those key variables come to play. And then they trust my process on the ice because they see it works. Um, and, and that's a major element to them buying into what I have to have to enlighten them on and, and be able to help their game get to the next level. So those, those are my, that's my process. I, I'll put all, everything together that I think is an issue. I, I show him, then we go on the ice. We'll, we'll do a couple, uh, scaffolding exercises, which scaffolding is basically just, uh, you know, doing simple patterns without any pressures and just walking through scenarios. And then we start adding the pressures and then we got practice and then it trickles into the game. And, and now we're off to the races. And, and so it's, it's like, what I'm telling you here is, is not groundbreaking. It's in many books. They talk about it in so many books. It's, this is not groundbreaking stuff. It's just, you've got to be able to execute on the knowledge that's out there. And that's something I think I've been able to do at, at a decent level here in Chicago with our, with our team. And, and that's, that's what this environment allows us to do. It allows us to put things into action and be able to tinker with stuff and trial and error on certain things and, and be able to uh, build processes for players in, in different avenues and, and experiences. I love that. And I'm th again, thinking back to now being a college coach, as I mentioned earlier, you know, obviously the, the day to day of a junior hockey schedule and what a junior hockey individual schedule player looks like as opposed to college. So like, how can you feel like your model and what you guys have been able to build here in, uh, in Chicago, how can that translate or transfer maybe to the college level or, or even to the pro level? 
so like what I, what I think is, is absolutely necessary. And I don't know if I see this enough and, and maybe, you know, other coaches that have this is individual development plans for players from an on ice perspective and a game in a game sense perspective. Like I just don't see enough of it. Um, I see a lot of it being like morning ice and, and, and just jump out and run, run the players through some skills. Um, and that's one key element that we have again, through Bobby Lucas is we have IDPs individual development plans. And it, it, it's not just something where you write down one word or this or that it's, it's, it's goes, it's linked to video. It's linked to workouts. The entire thing is, is there. Um, and it allows us to go down the right avenues, pathways to be able to best impact the player. Right. And then, so that's where, like, I think a lot of, a lot of times it's just not these IDPs and it's just a, it's a wide net, uh, of, of skill development. Oh, work on the hands. Oh, work on shots. Well, yeah, like that's all great. And, and yes, the players can sharpen and, and smoothen out the, the tool, the toolbox. But at the end of the day, it's just a toolbox collecting dust. If you don't really know exactly what objectives are supposed to be inside that. And also if, if uh, let's give you a prime example, like if a player can as an absolute rip and he's technically sound from a shooting perspective, well, he doesn't necessarily just need to work on shooting technique. So let's, let's try to push the player now in other avenues that they can then finish with their shot technique, but what else do they need to work on? Let's combine other, other patterns and routes and, and, and technical skills to pair it inside that shot to then that player can recall certain areas uh, and, and technical elements to then fire their shot. Um, and so that, that's where I think a lot of times they, they can build is those IDPs. I, I don't think that's a, I think, I don't think that's a focus point for each individual player. And, and obviously we've talked about this, but college hockey coaches have a lot of constraints against them to try to do this stuff, but it also has to come down to, I, I want to, to really build every single player individually. When they leave here, I I've given them the opportunity to make the, make them the best player they possibly can be uh, without any questions asked. Like I, I literally gave them every Avenue and, and that's where I think it, it could be another level there at the collegiate level. So let's, let's take it down even below collegiate. Cause I know we have tons of, youth parents, youth coaches, amateur parents, amateur coaches before juniors. Like how would I say I'm coaching a team? I'm looking at the players I have. How do I go about creating an IDP uh, for each player? And and how long should they be for guys who are, let's say of the midget age? Well, I'd say, I mean, the the step number one is at the midget age, it's going to be tough. Uh, because you're not going to have a lot of video access prior. So you're going to have to do it probably in phases where you've got the first 10 games of the year, you can start developing the IDP for the player. Cause then now you're there every day, you know what they're doing. You see their habits in practice uh, and, and you can really try to impact them uh, after the first 10 games. Cause you have to have initial Intel on the player to see what they're doing. Right. Um, and, and know how they move, how they think, and what their intents are on the ice to, to be mo- the most impactful. So as a midget coach, it's going to take you about 10 games in to be able to do that. Um, but the, the reality is, Vex, is it takes a lot of time to do this. And so other people, they have other jobs and other, other things that they're trying to do. So it's a lot harder to do at the midget level uh, when doing that. But obviously a coach that really is all in and, and wants to make an impact, they're going to take the time to do this stuff. Um, but that's what, that would be my suggestion at the midget level Vex is you, you got to go 10 games in and then you got to start the development plan from there. That's a good sample size and a performance size to be able to really 
put the player on the right, on the right tracks to, to becoming the best versions of themselves. Hey, Adam, like going along with all this kind of stuff, it's in my opinion, like it's very clear that a lot of this work that's being put into the player can help that player reach a confidence. And when we talked the other day, you talked about a cognitive confidence in, in these players being able to reach the, their potential and the best levels of their ability in, in working with these players in Chicago, how have you gone about building that confidence? And I, I know it's not as simple as like, I put a lot of work into these players and then these players do the stuff and then they get confident with it. Like, how do you think about teaching confidence with these guys and how do you go about, you know, doing things within their structure and within your structure as a team to be able to help them to uh, create that confidence as well. Well, this is the number one thing. I think a lot of people use video as a negative expression to show players what they do incorrectly. And a lot of times I use video to show the players what they're doing unbelievably well uh, to really pump them up and be like, dude, this is sick. Look at this play here. Wow. Look at this play. We just sit there and, and we just gloat about how awesome he, that the player is, is performing. Uh, the other, the other component is Brock Sheehan though, like, like Brock Sheehan's ability to provide players, the rope and lifeline to make mistakes and then coach them and say, Hey, you made a mistake. What'd you think? Okay. I did this. All right. You're going back out next shift. What? I'm going back out. Yeah. You're going back out. Let's go. And I'll give you a prime example. Like Jackson Blake's an unbelievable player. The guy's sick. You go watch Fargo's first goal in game four in the Clark Cup final. He turns a puck over the blue line. They skate down, they score. Guess who got the game winner? Jackson Blake, third line player. Scores the game winner. That's, that's Brock Sheen in a nutshell too. So it's not just me building confidence. It's also, I'm on the same wavelength as, as Coach Sheen. And that's why he's able to, to win and develop at the same time. Kid made a mistake. He still knows the kid's a hell of a player. He's young. He wants to build him back up. Hey, buddy, clock up, final. Yeah, get back out there. Let's go. And, and he, he knew that our habits and details, the kid was not going to repeat that mistake. He knew it because we taught the kid and he, we, we've done this over and over again and we needed the kid to be able to win a hockey game. And so that's what we do that. We do that with so many players and you see this in our, in our development model. We get the kids young year one, they play, but they don't get the minutes they're accustomed to, but they play, they play just like everybody else. They play, they get touches, they get in the lineup. And then the following year, they torch the league. Well, that's because our development model is ridiculously good and strong and foundationally it's, it's sturdy. Um, and you, you see the likes of an Owen power his first year, he started to get hot at the end of the year, but then the next, the next year lit torched our league, literally torched it. Uh, you see North Coronado last year. He was okay. This year he torches. You see Sam Eskevich uh, last year. He was just okay. Torches the league. Sean Farrell was decent. This year he torches the league. You know, and so that's really what you're starting to, what you see with our, our ability. It's not just physically, it's mentally as well. Uh, and to your point, it's, 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 that, it's that cognitive confidence that we're building in these players. It, it allows them to make mistakes and they know, hey, I'm going back out there. And a prime example is this, man, like for all players out there, the higher level you start getting to, there's going to be other good players on the ice, right? There's going to be good players. So even though you might see a play and, and look to make a play that's really good, other good players are going to capitalize on it and make a good play against you and negate the play. They're going to negate it. So that all being said is like, don't be frustrated as you get higher up in levels. And when you make mistakes, like I used to be a crazy, crazy human. When I make a mistake, I'd yell the F bomb. And in there, because yep, I'm so me too. Yeah, yeah. No, no. But yeah, but yeah, but you know why you did it? Because you were trying to win the coach over. And when you made a mistake, you knew he was going to freak out 
and you knew he wasn't going to play you. So you were so angry in that moment. And that is why you, you started freezing up. You chip and chase. Now you work your tail off and you lost all your offensive flair and touch and, and your in your, in your finesse with the puck. You lost it all because you created that, that stressor. And, and this is why we're able to build cognitive confidence here because we don't create those stressors in the, in the brain of the athlete. We allow them to play free. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to that too, because some of the things that you were just talking about, you mentioned some of those really, really awesome, obviously own power is very good chance. He is the number one pick in the draft next year. And in our conversation the other day, you talked about Adam Fantilli in, in a very similar mind where um, it, it wasn't necessarily easy for them at first. And they had to battle through some stuff and they had to learn some stuff. And even though some of the tools might've been there, like they had to figure it out a little bit. Um, can you kind of speak to that and, and how the league and how you guys prepare your kids for the league in, in how you coach these kids and how it helps them to develop in, into those players, maybe not right away, but being patient with them and, and allowing them to flourish maybe later on. Great question, by the way. Unbelievable. So what, what, what Thanks, I'm going to say to you is this. Yeah. Jeff usually has a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. And, and what I'm going to say to this, this is very important for many, many coaches out there. The likes of an Adam Fantilli as a young kid, youth hockey, everybody knows he's sick. So the first thing that they do is they try to recruit the hell out of the kid in the family. And when they get the kid, they're so happy. They have them. They just want the kid to win hockey games. They don't coach. Him. They really don't coach them it's a rarity that you coach the kid because you know, he's going to spot you four goals. And to be quite honest, and I'm not blaming this on the human being, blaming this on constraints coaches that coach at the youth level, they have other jobs. They're not invested in coaching high level athletes. They're just not. So when they see a kid like an Adam Fantilli, the natural thing for the, the coach to do is to bring the bottom up to him. So they don't even coach that kid. So Adam Fantilli basically is being used used to win games and let me coach the other kids. So you're going to be the distractor to, to win us hockey games. And then now I'm going to take the bottom up and make them as best I possibly can. That's natural course of, of youth coaching. And it's not because people aren't capable of doing it. They're just not equipped to be able to do it because they have other jobs and interests that they just love hockey. They might've played hockey as a player. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the likes of an Adam Fantilli and, and players of that magnitude they're being, they're, they're used, they're used to win games. Unfortunately, that's the reality and truth of it all. And, and people can push back on it, but your, your, your best effort with that kid was recruiting him. After you recruited him, your efforts aren't, aren't, aren't going to be as good. And, and that's just the reality of the entire situation. So we don't use players in Chicago. We don't recruit them to win us hockey games. Like at the end of the day, we care less about a Fantilli got us a W. Now, was the kid the MVP of the Clark Cup final and he was unbelievable? Yeah, but it, it was not like that happened with a snap of my fingers. So what happened is, is at the beginning of the season, uh, luckily for COVID, we, 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 didn't, we, didn't, we, weren't, we didn't lose the kid and the kid didn't leave us uh, because we, we really were able to develop him the right way through the right process and channels. And we didn't throw him on the first line right away. We developed him because he needed to work on his hockey sense and, and his hockey IQ to be able to really be impactful with that elite skill base that he has kids, an elite skater, puck handler, shooter. Like I, I put up any old four against them. They probably aren't touching this kid. This kid is so far beyond what anybody else is doing right now from those regards where he needed to learn is how to work with other players, how to, how to improve conditions of the puck, how to relocate to find the most favorable space, 
how to be able to roll over top to protect our D when they're activating so we can sustain offensive zone, which then again is going to get him a more favorable puck to wire the thing in the back of the net. Those are things that we teach here that we don't just hand out to players, and that's why skilled players want to play here, and that's why they flourish here. Every skilled player that Ryan Hardy brought here, he's brought elite players, man. Like his, his ability to scout talent and, and make connections and, and, and bring the right people into Chicago to play our style. We don't just use them to put W's up. We develop them, we train them, and, and, and that's really what, uh, what allows us to, to be the most impactful we can for the player. And, and that's why Adam Fantilli did what he did. If we just let Adam Fantilli become on the first line and roll through the season, the odds of him are of winning the MVP in the Clark Cup the Clark Cup playoffs, I don't think is going to be there. I really don't, uh, because he would have been cheating offense. He would have been trying to fly the zone. He would have been skating on linear lines all the time against the rush. We've taught him how to how to really use that skill base and asset base to be the most impactful player he can be. And I told this to, to Adam all the time, and I, I joke with him. I said, "Hey, man." I'd pay $250 a night to watch you play now because it's, it's special to watch him because he's not only just physically gifted, he's now cognitively gifted because he worked his tail off to be really good at it. And that's player ball, right? That's next level. I'm not out there sitting here working with Adam Fictillion and shooting mechanics when, his, when he fires the puck and he can shoot the puck technically, elite, technically well. I'm not sitting there beating a dead horse on that. We're now trying to make that asset even more impactful. And, and that's what we do as a whole staff. It's not just myself. It's Brock Sheehan, Matt Deschamps, Michael Garman, Bobby Lucas. It's even the equipment guys getting the right sticks and Parker Hoffman, who's an exceptional equipment guy. Uh, Jim Schroeder we're doing the proper body work and, 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 uh, and rehab stuff that needs to be done to get the player ready to go out there and perform. Right. Um, and so that's exactly what we do from a, a whole development and, and a high level player standpoint. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. And and the other thing that I want to ask you too, as it regards to to Fantilli, is especially for a younger kid, an old four coming in, playing in the USHL or playing major junior at those high levels, like you have to have a pretty amazing culture within your locker room for those kids to be able to flourish as well. And I've seen kids that have been extremely skilled go into teams and, you know, maybe the older players or uh, the coaches, maybe they treat them in a certain way because of a certain way that they are, or whatever it may be that that doesn't allow them to flourish. Um, so if you can, like talk to us a little bit about your culture as a hole that allows these younger players because you guys are younger than most other teams if not all in the league um if i'm not mistaken and so one of the things that we talked about the other day that i thought really was an incredible saying is you talked about noel needham who's your assistant gm and she talked about having players and and who are inclusion human beings and i just thought that was really really cool and so how does that you know, how does that kind of culture of having a bunch of these players who are inclusion human beings allow some of these younger guys to really maximize their potential within your guys' development program? So I'll give you an example. So this, this year was really tough to do that because you couldn't go out and, and, and hang out as a team, really. I mean, it was tough. Um, and so what really, our, I think, our, honestly, it's going to sound really funny, but the hurricane, again, is, is phenomenal with us. This is where he, he really like is the most impactful with anything I've seen. Even though his draft picks are elite and he's exceptional for, for an eye for talent, his ability to make sure that our group all buys in and, and able to fit in. Like he, he, he put together this mini putt league. So we all play mini putt. He loves, he loves mini putt. You ever see his Twitter? He'll show his scores on there here and there. And he's actually, 
he's actually sick. Like I'm telling you, like unbelievable. So we, we got all the boys on every Monday. We'd all show up there at four 30 and we're playing mini putt for like two and a half hours. And, and all, all of a sudden everybody's equal. Like the best player on the ice now becomes vulnerable, right? He's not the best player. And all of a sudden he's getting chirped, like just an average Joe and, and, and other guys are beating him. And so it just shows that, that, that humility factor to every player and, and that empathy factor and be like cheering a guy on. That's usually not cheering. Usually is uh, usually at, at the top of the end of the, of the spectrum. Now he's at the bottom end and we're cheering him on. And things like that are, are really, really impactful from a mental and a group cohesiveness standpoint. This is where I think a lot of times we miss that. Like you've got to be able to get, you got to put the, the all-star player or the top end player in a situation where they're not the best. And you're going to find out a lot about them and the, how the people around them feel about them at that moment. And so at the beginning of the year, like, of course, when you get a player of an Adam Fantilli magnitude, man, like, it, it, like you have, like a lot of times it's tough for young players to, to understand it, but like, man, like he's got a lot of people in his corner and, and he's been told his whole time how great he's been. Right. And, and so that's where a lot of that, that confidence comes from. And sometimes it turns people off. Sometimes it doesn't. And what Adam was really good at is he didn't turn everybody off right, right away. He didn't. And that, that was a lot of help from Hardy and, and, and the coaching staff to, to make sure he just, you know, kept doing his work, staying on task, doing his work. And, and kudos to Adam. He did it. And he won everyone over, man. Like every guy on that team really, really likes him. And when he won the MVP, the boys were so excited for him, right? Because they knew that his talent was high end. And then as we built that culture around those high end players, man, it, it, the team bought in and they saw that, Hey, this guy is not only a good player. He's also a great friend, a human being. And they got to see that side of him. And, and I think sometimes that, cultures don't allow that to happen at the top end players. And then they leave, they leave, everybody hates him. They think he's a, he's a bust. And, and, and that to me is really how we're able to do what we do here. And it's just something really special to watch. If you don't, if you don't get to see it every day, you don't really appreciate it. And you think, Oh yeah, we do that in your, your program. I'm telling you right now, if you do, it's, it, it can't be to this level. What, what, what's going on with our culture and, and our, and our team from that magnitude of, of high end skill and high end players, like Matt Fantilli. Uh, it, it's nuts. Like I'll give you another example, man, like Owen power going to go first overall. He couldn't be the most kind human I, I've ever met. He's unbelievable. FaceTimes everybody on our staff weekly talks to us. Like, like you should see the amount of FaceTimes we get from ex players. It's bizarre. And they're all high end players that are, that are, that are FaceTiming in just want to keep tabs talking to us guys are doing FaceTimes with their, with their steel jerseys on as we go into the playoffs rooting us on. You should have saw the videos, all the guys sent in cheering us on. It was insane. And, and that's what we do. That's how, that's how we keep the high, the high end players love it because we, we build that brotherhood. We don't give up on them and we have open communication with everybody. It, it, it's honestly remarkable what has been built here. And, and the hurricane is it, kudos to him and, and his ability to do that. You mentioned hurricane. It's so funny. So I'm in Chicago now, as you know, and, uh, you say yeah. that I know, I know who you're talking about it, right? But I, I just think about hurricane Ditka. <laughs> who, who would win in a fight, <laughs> a hurricane or Ditka or Ditka or Cubic Zirconia. <laughs> Trick question. What if the hurricane's name was hurricane Ditka? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I like it, man. He's he's a man, man. Yeah, for sure. So before we let you go, like if I know you and I know your staff that you're working with, you obviously were able to accomplish some amazing things this year and not just this year, but in years past and, and, 
this uh, this development model that you guys have built, but you guys aren't going to rest on your laurels. And I know there's going to be more and you guys are going to go back to the drawing board. Like what excites you? What have you learned this year? And and maybe what are some things that you're excited to implement uh, in the future after going through this year, especially in a COVID year, which was an unbelievably crazy learning experience? No, it's it's just you know what it is. It's it's refining teaching elements, how to be quicker and faster with our with our teaching methodologies, right? And so, like for me, like I could just speak for myself. What I what I plan on doing, right, is I don't go and watch other hockey skill coaches, and, and they might be good. It's not no disrespect to anybody from a skill regard, but I go and watch basketball, soccer, lacrosse coaches that teach skills and how they teach it, how they speed up uh, acquirement. Um, and, and application. And, and I do that because to me, it's all about teaching. You have to be able to teach. It doesn't matter what drill you run, man. It, it matters how you're able to connect with a player to, to, to maximize your time with them to speed up the learning curve. That's it. And, and that's the real refinement every single day uh, that you have to remember is how can I become a better teacher? How can I teach that better? And so I, I, I give, I asked our, our coaching staff this, and I, I've never seen this before. So it was, a, it was a question that I asked them. I said, listen, like in the summertime, what do you guys demand of the players? They go, oh, they got to work out. They got to skate. They, they should probably do video. They got to do body work. They got to you know, do chiropractor stuff. But like, the players have things that they, they do to improve uh, in the summertime. And it says, okay, so like, what's the demand on the coaches? And I said, how do most coaches get better? Read a book, watch, watch hockey, right? Or, or they talk to other coaches and get drills. That's kind of where, where I, I've, I've heard. I mean, mothers might do more. I, I can't tell you. But what I've seen is, is I've never really seen head coaches, assistant coaches put together a group of 15 skaters, 20 skaters, go out and run randomized drills where they can find better ways to teach a, a line rush concept, an offensive zone concept, uh, a defensive uh, skill tactic and and uh, uh, technique concepts. I, I haven't seen a lot of that. Where twenty random kids are on there weekly with a with a random college pro junior coach, and they're just doing drills they've never done before. What I have seen though is like coaches will go to camps, they'll show up, and they just want to you know get the two hours over where they run drills they normally would run, and it's done. Well, how are you going to become better at teaching it if, if, if you don't mix it up and find other avenues and ways to, in which to, to, to plug in those teaching methods? So that's really where our, I think is next level uh, for, for us is, is to, to be able to do that. And in a way that we did that is we, we did a lot of different drills with our, uh, our, our taxi squad or kids that were on the ride with us to the playoffs. We would do random, random drills. Now, they're not random to the point where like the players aren't getting better they're random as, and we never done it before. So we want to test them out, but they were built around concepts in which if the game had, if they were in the game tomorrow, they'd be ready to go. Uh, and we we're teaching the skills inside it. We're, we're, we're trying to really master our, our level of, of expectation of our, our teaching styles. And, and, and that's what we're trying to push forward. And I think that's the next step is, is to, is to go, how can we do it better? How can we teach it better? Um, and that's through logging information through videoing and really creating that portal of, of knowledge. I think that would be our, 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 our continued growth as a, as an organization from a coaching and teaching standpoint. Well, you mentioned that you go and you've done a lot of studying of some other sports. And we had a really interesting conversation the other day, just about playing multiple sports and, and maybe how, 
people view playing multiple sports, maybe not in the, the light that they should in terms of why it's actually good for the players. Um, if you can talk, talk a little bit about your experience in doing that and what you've learned, you know, looking at basketball and studying soccer and some of these other sports that, uh, well, I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, this is the thing Topher and Jeff, like we look at this and every time I hear parents talking about, Oh, my kid's got to, or, or, or my kid's got to play multiple sports. I said, great. And, and I go, what's the reason for it? Oh, I've got to get better hand-eye coordination, conditioning. They're talking about all the physical applications of it. And I think to myself, after I watched basketball, uh, soccer, and lacrosse, I'm like, okay, the physical elements are great. That, like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I, I'm not discarding that. That's great. But the real true benefit is to all four sports, hockey, basketball, uh, uh, lacrosse, and soccer. They're the same sport, just played with different constraints. It's the same sport. And what I mean by that, it's a battle for possession, controlling space, creating numerical advantages, improving conditions for your teammates when you're out there on the, on the, on the domain. That's what it is. There's no other way to, to slice it. It's literally the same sport. They're all trying to accomplish the same thing. So when you go and play soccer, you should be looking to possess the ball, locate time and space or create time and space. You should be looking to, to create two on ones off the ball. You should be looking to improve conditions for your teammates when you give them the ball or, or the object. And it goes on with basketball and lacrosse. It's the same thing. So I had Noel Needham uh, with her Sioux Fall powers organization. Who Noel, by the way, is an absolute rock star. And, and I, I mentioned this to you, like, I don't understand how her phone's not off the hook. Like her resume and her ability to, to do things in the, in the men's game is phenomenal. Um, she's a scout. She's, she coaches, she does skills. She runs a hockey school. Like the, the list goes on in her resume. She is more equipped and ready to rock and roll in a development staff and in the national hockey league. I'm surprised she hasn't gotten a gig there. And, and I obviously hope very, very soon that happens or, or I, I don't know what's going on to be completely honest with you, but, but for her, like I, I gave her these ideas and I said, Hey, listen, you should do basketball. And she was okay. So she does basketball. She sends me a video and I said, you know what? Eliminate dribbling. Don't have the dribble in, in effect because now the dribble is too hard for players. So now they've been focusing on the, the physical element versus the mental element. And she, she goes, okay. So the next time they'd had no dribbles, you don't have to dribble the ball. Um, and you can only take three steps or whatever. So they really focused on moving around the, around the, uh, around the court. So then she sends me a video. She had this player. Okay. The player gets the ball and runs right back to where the ball came from. I said, how good is that player at hockey? She said, he's okay. I said, well, I can tell he's not very smart because when he got the ball, he ran back into pressure. He didn't run to the open court to the left side where the, all the space was. So she's like, holy shit, it's transferable. I said, yes, exactly. This player, the way they think about time and space, they can't translate it from the rink to the basketball court, from the basketball court to the soccer court. And so they're like, wow. So I said, you can work a lot of mental elements and movements off the playing object on other domains, and it's a lot of fun, but you have to be able to see it and coach it that way. And unfortunately, in my short experience in watching basketball, soccer, and lacrosse, they don't teach it that way either. They're teaching it in absolutes. They're teaching it in set routes. And that's what they're doing, right? And so that's where I think the true beauty is in the other sports is, is to really build the cognitive elements. And yes, their physical elements are definitely going to help you and, and pay dividends from your athleticism and coordination, no doubt. But the real true beauty is, is how to control a playing surface and, and do those things that I mentioned. 
It's funny, Adam, that you say all that. Like, I do things like this in the gym all the time. I, I look at what I try and do in the gym, on the field, as performance enhancement, not just a strength coach, because to me that, that means, like, just lifting. And I we play a game, and the pros ask to play it every day, and I don't let them. But we play it on Fridays if they work hard, and we play it quite a bit with the younger guys called Air Force football. You only get three steps with the football. You have to pass it after those three steps. You Once you stop, you only have like one second before you're allowed to pass. There's two-hand touch, and it's literally all about moving, talking, vision, finding the open space, getting to it passing and then on defense it's a lot of the same things but from the defensive side of the ball and uh, a lot of people are like why do you do this stuff you're a strength coach and I'm like because I train hockey players to be better at hockey I don't train hockey players to be better in the gym I don't I don't care if they're great in the gym I care about them being great at hockey and this is something that will transfer and you just you just so eloquently put exactly why I do games like that and disguise them uh, uh, these things that will translate to the ice. So I'm so glad you just said that. And, uh, you know, I hope a lot of people listen to that because there's so many things you can be doing off the ice that will make you a better hockey player in the season or especially in the off season, like you just talked about right there. So that's so awesome. No doubt, Jeff. No doubt. That's exactly what, uh, what I think. And, and that's why I think we're, we're very impactful in Chicago, man. We got this close knit group that, is all on the same page. And, and, and obviously, uh, you know, from the cultural standpoint, it, it lights out. Awesome stuff, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about, uh, about the Chicago steel and, and some of your methods that you guys have in your player development that has allowed you guys to have so much success here. And, uh, yeah. So what was it? 64 ounces of coffee you had in here before, uh, before coming on the oh. podcast today. Oh yeah. Duncan, Duncan actually owns my credit card. So I just, <laughs> I get charged monthly, you know, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely insane. I, I love it. I actually had head covers made of Dunkin' Donuts. I'll send you guys uh, as well. It's, they're actually pretty strict. 64 ounces sweet. of coffee equals 64 words a second for Adam Nicholas. We love this guy on the hockey thing. Thank oh good stuff that. well thanks big cat we appreciate it always coming on here i think this is going to be uh an awesome episode for everybody that listens so appreciate your time congratulations again on the clark cup and uh maybe we'll have a uh, clark club plus stanley cup party for you uh coming up here in a couple months you know we hope fellas thanks again for having me on and like always it's uh, absolute pleasure all right see you man.